All right, our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. Yeah, I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, this morning. We'll be starting in verse 22, of John, chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 888. Uh, we'll be continuing our, our series, Believe and Live. Um, I, uh, I want to take you back uh, kind of in maybe some of the, the remnants of your memory, of your, your education. Uh, for all of you non-physicists out there, we're going to review uh, one of Newton's uh, laws of, of motion, all right? So um, I had to do a little, you know, freshening up myself uh, this week. But the third law, which in layman's terms is, is pretty, uh, you know, easy to uh, remember, um, it, it says, for, for every action, there is an equal and opposite Re- reaction. Thank you. All right. So you, you remember this, right? So, so just uh, think about some different examples here. Um, a, a swimmer, a swimmer in, in, in the, the water, uh, ready to race uh, with the force which he acts upon the wall with his feet, it will determine how, how quickly he pr- is propelled into the water because the wall will exert an equal and opposite force. That he's put, am I right, uh, Dr. Hogorf back there? Is that right? Um, so, so here's another example. Uh, just take this chair. Um, I'm going to trust that there's going to be some opposite force here. Um, See, so yeah, I sat down on this chair, and um, it, it exerted a, a reactive force that is thankfully, um, and not making a fool of myself, holding me up right now. Um, so, um, you know, how many of you... Um, have not, not how many of us, but, but how many of you have uh, ever gotten so frustrated uh, in the heat of the moment that you um, just kind of turned around and kicked a wall to discover Newton's third law of motion? Anybody like, with, with the force that you exert, that wall will return the favor and make your toes and foot hurt, you know, for the next week? Has anyone ever been there, uh, done that? That's, that's uh, Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, um, there are some spiritual laws of the universe that God has set up that would say for every spiritual action, um, there is an, an inverse reaction, an opposite and equal uh, reaction. So just think about uh, some of these that are relevant to where we're going in uh, the Gospel of John today. Uh, for for, for uh, the greater our, our pride, uh, the less our humility. The, the greater our glory, the less glory to Christ. The, the more that we try to increase, the, the less Christ increases in us. But the, the more we decrease, the more Christ increases in us. And as we start to think about these, these spiritual laws that God has set up to, to govern our lives, um, these are some laws that we need to really pay attention to because we live in a society, a culture that, that is constantly reminding us, whispering in our ear that, that we need to pursue greatness. And it's not greatness for greatness's sake, all right? The, the, the quality of doing a job really well done, there's a lot of virtue in that. But it's, it's pursuing greatness so that other people will look at us and they will say, man, they are so great. 
We, we, we do what we do oftentimes because we want people to look at us and we want ourselves to be elevated in their eyes. So it's about the recognition that we can receive. It's about the esteem in the sight of others that we can be held up in their eyes. It's about the applause that we can receive from others. But what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that uh, John, John the Baptist, um, he, was not, he was not about um, trying to set things up so that people could say, hey, look at how great I am. Look at the hard work that I have put in. Look how I'm making my company so much greater. Um, he, he actually had the kind of mindset that would turn this kind of mentality on its head. You see, this kind of mentality that's pursuing greatness for our own applause completely contradicts the character of Christ. And so what we see in John the Baptist is an attitude, a mindset that says we need to decrease in order to increase. It's a decrease to increase mindset, um, and that's what we see here in these opening uh, verses. Uh, I believe this, this decrease to mind, uh, increase mindset is summed up in seven powerful words that we're going to see in verse 30, where John the Baptist simply says this, he, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what John is after. And I hope that is what we will be after this morning. What, what we're going to see as we work our way through these verses is that when we have a decrease to increase mindset, then it maximizes the glory of God. It increases glory to God, rather, I should have said. It increases glory to God, and it maximizes our joy. All right? So let's read uh, verses 22 through 30 of John chapter 3 together. Uh, you can follow along as I read them for us. Uh, this is what John writes. He says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained uh, there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
If, if you were with us a couple of months ago, uh, I think when we were in John chapter 1, verses 19 and following, um, we saw this kind of first episode where Jesus comes into the presence of John the Baptist, and we learned that John's role was simply to point people to him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, John's whole purpose was just to be a finger that was pointing people to the greatness and glory of Christ. And so what we see here in John chapter 3 is simply a reinforcement, uh, an enhancement, if you will, of what we saw in chapter 1, where John is just simply continuing to do his job, the only job he knows how to do that's right, and that is to point people to Christ. To, with this kind of decrease to increase mentality. So, so what, are the, what are the two things that we learn uh, from this passage in terms of this decrease to increase mentality? Um, number one, decrease to increase glory to Christ. Decrease to increase Glory to Christ. I mean, the story goes, we just read it. Jesus and his disciples were baptizing in a region that was very close to John the Baptist. And we, we saw in, in, in these uh, verses that more and more people were going to Jesus and his disciples, which meant less and less people we're going to John the Baptist. Now, for, for John the Baptist, and uh, at least for John the Baptist's disciples, uh, there, there starts to kind of creep up, it seems, this, this kind of uh, spirit of jealousy or envy, okay? This spirit of competition starts to rise in their hearts. I like, mean, John, um, you, you're our teacher. You're the one that we follow, and um, we want you to have such great notoriety that, that it concerns us that more and more people are going to Jesus. And they even exaggerate to make the point. I mean, did you catch it? And it says, Rabbi, look, all are going to him. But is this troubled John? Is this disturbing to John in any way? Look at how he responds uh, starting in verse 27. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. John answered them like this. A person cannot receive even one thing. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And so John's aim here is to increase glory to Christ. Now, now, now the language there is very, very important, okay? We're not saying John the Baptist decreased so that the glory of Christ might increase, okay? And why is that? You're good theologian. Like, that's impossible, right? You can't increase that which is infinite. You know what I'm saying? Like, glory cannot be added to Jesus because Jesus is infinitely glorious. Okay, you can't, you can't put anything on top of that. So, so what we're saying is not increasing the glory of Christ because God is, Christ is infinitely glorious. What we're saying is we want to increase glory to Christ. In other words, we want people, including ourselves, to see, to apprehend, to recognize that Christ is truly, infinitely glorious. And so what happens when we glorify God, we are shedding light on how glorious he truly is so that others might see it more clearly and we ourselves might see his glory more clearly. So we decrease to increase glory to Christ. But how do we do that? 
How, how can we get to that place? Okay, verse 27 helps us out uh, with the first lesson. Um, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So we point to Christ's glory when we understand that everything in our lives is a gift from God. Verse 27 is so strong. It says, we, we can, I mean, I want you to think about this verse, right? I'm like, come on Sunday morning, man, 27, check that off, heard that again, all right? Like, we should pray that God would really rock our hearts with, with this kind of truth. We cannot receive one thing unless it is given to us from God. So that means everything in our lives. Everything, every little speck of good, every morsel of good that is in us or comes through us is a result of the gift of God. So our kindness, our love, our concern and compassion for others, they all come to us as a gift from God. Every material blessing in our lives, there is nothing that we do not have. Our friendships, our family, the clothes on our backs, the boots on our feet, the hair on your head, the new hairdo that you got because you were able to go to the stylist and get it done, like everything is a result of the gift of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I love this verse, so, so short you can memorize it. Just simply ask this question, uh, what do you have that you did not receive? Paul's asking this rhetorical question. I mean, he already knows the answer. He expects them to know the answer. The answer is nothing. <laughs> There's nothing that you have that you did not receive it. Everything in our lives is a gift. Romans eleven thirty six puts it in a different way, um, but it's quite emphatic. For from him, speaking of God, for from God and through God and to God are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Everything in our lives is a, is a gift from God. And that's why John can be absolutely unflinching in his resolve to point to the glory of Christ. He knows that everything that he has, every good in him, this, this um, opportunity to serve God and be a pointer to Christ, it's a gift from God. He knew his task was, was to, to, to not uh, be the Christ, but to point to the Christ. And he was very comfortable in his own skin. He was comfortable with his assignment. He was able to run in his lane, not try to hop over into Jesus' lane, but to run in his lane because um, he knew everything in his life was a gift from God. So if, 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 you, if you find yourself becoming envious of someone else, if you find uh, in your heart a spirit of competition rising up and you're comparing your life to someone else and what you have versus what they have and what you're able to do versus what they're able to do, um, a lot of times, uh, in fact, probably most times, that's going to come and that's going to come at us in kind of a sinful way, right? It's good, it's good to want to, to do our best. It's good to want to work on things in life and improve, but that spirit of competition that, that pushes us toward envy and jealousy, that is, that is not from God. And so what we need to realize is that everything in our life is a gift. It comes from the hand of God. That's what, that's what will help us point to Christ's glory. Uh, number two, we will point to Christ's glory when we want 
everything at all to be about him. And so verse 30 um, is, is, again, one of the, the greatest verses in the Bible. One scholar said this is one of the greatest utterance that ever fell from human lips. It is the last, they are the last recorded words from the, John the Baptist that we have in the scriptures. And so I love that because like if you're going to go out, let's go out well. Let's go out kind of big time, right? And so John the Baptist's final words are, he must increase. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. So if you were to interview John the Baptist, he might put it in, in words like this, okay? I want you to look at my life and I want you to put my name in lowercase, and while you're at it, I want you to lower that font down to about 1.7. But I want the name of Jesus to be like 5 billion point font. And while it's in 5 billion point font, let's go ahead and bold that so that all that you can see is him. And you can't even, you can't even see me, all right? Like you can't even get up here on this screen, all right? There, there is a 1.7 word there that says John the Baptist, but you can't even see it because it's so small. I think I put it in lowercase, I'm not sure, but it should be in lowercase, all right? John lived his life in lowercase. He wanted all the glory to go to Jesus. And so, so let me, how can, we, how can we get there? How can we come to the place where we, 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 we live this kind of lifestyle consistently? God gave me a couple thoughts as I was working on this sermon this week. Um, number, number one, let, let me just ask you a question. This might, this might help. I hope it helps. I want you to name your great-great-grandfather's name on your, your mom's side. Who can do that right now? Just raise your hand. Great-great-grandfather's name on your mother's side. Can anyone, can anyone do that? that? That's what I thought. So what does that tell us? I mean, let's, let's look around at one another. Let's enjoy this fact just for a moment. No one is going to remember us. No one's going to remember us. Every person that I've asked that question cannot tell me the answer. And maybe if you can, you probably have to like dig it up somewhere, right? If we just go another generation or two, the point will be continue to be made. So, so if that is true, then why do we spend so much effort seeking our own glory in this life? There's only one name that will be remembered and exalted forever. It's the name of Christ because he is supreme over all. He, he alone is God. That does not mean that we are not to encourage one another and affirm one another and, 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 and you know, uh, speak words of affirmation, all right? Like, it doesn't mean that we're not insignificant, that we don't have dignity and worth in the sight of God. What it means is, why are we chasing after this glory that we want people to point to us and say how great we are 
when at the end of the day, the end of our lives in just about 50 uh, to 60 years, I mean, not even our own family, (laughs) not even our own family is going to remember us. And so what, what happens then? Like, that's, that's one piece. And this other thought came to me. What happens, Tanner? Like, you need to pray this way. What happens to, to, to my heart, or, or rather, what has happened in my heart when, when someone gives me kind of a compliment or a word of encouragement, and it almost feels blasphemous? You know what I'm saying? Let me explain that, okay? Again, we should receive encouragement from one another. In fact, the, the Bible says it, encourage one another daily, all right? So don't, don't stop encouraging one another, but, but, but we have to encourage one another and receive encouragement from one another in a, in a John 3, 27, 3, 30 kind of way, right? We can't receive, like, I can't do anything. I am not anything apart from the grace of God at work in my life, and that is true for you as well. So we start, we start receiving everything in a grace-filled manner because God has done this in us. Please don't compliment me. I mean, yes, I'll, I'll receive that encouragement, but it's just a result of what God has done in my life because I'm trying to live my life in lowercase. I'm talking about 1.7, 1.6 font, all right, so that Jesus can receive the glory. Let's, let's Live our lives in such a way that we are lighting him up. Jesus in John 5.35, he's going to call John the Baptist a burning and shining light. I, I think this is why, right? He, he knew how to light Jesus up. That's, that was his whole aim, to light Christ up, to light up the light of the world. I mean, could we just, could we just meditate on that at Christmas? I mean... Isaiah 9 says that that the light of the world is going to come. The people who dwelt in darkness will see a great light. And when Jesus comes on the scene, we'll see it in a few more chapters. John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Again, just think about this picture to to kind of get a sense of his greatness and to get a sense of of our um, kind of just commonness. Our, our, how ordinary we are. I mean, it, it, it takes all that we have just to kind of light up our family a little bit, just to light up, you know, kind of our friendships a little bit, just to, to light up our neighborhood just a little bit. And, and our light is just a little speck of a light. You shine, you shine a, 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 a picture of the world, and you can't even see this little burning light that's in me. You can't even see it. But Jesus is the light of the entire world. Amazing. So, so we decrease so that we can increase glory, glory to Christ. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's why John's saying he must increase, I must decrease. That is that is why we're here. That's why we've been made. And and it's not only just that that's our, our lone assignment, and then and then we're just kind of like, man, that's that's all I have to do. I'm going to do that every day, and I'm going to try, but that's not going to be very enjoyable. No. When, when we decrease to increase glory to Christ, guess what happens? We decrease to increase our own joy. Decrease to increase your joy. By turning all the attention on him, our joy receives a tremendous boost. 
to, 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 to kind of impress this upon his disciples who have this spirit of envy and jealousy and competition and resentment. Um, Jesus takes them into a wedding scene. I mean, John, John the Baptist takes them into a wedding scene. And, and he does this because he wants them to understand the, the, their relationship to God and how they should be viewing Christ. And let me just tell you this, okay? Um, John the Baptist does not pull this example out of thin air, all right? In the Old Testament, Isaiah 54, 5 says, um, for uh, your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. So the, the relationship between God and his people has always been pictured in, tum- in terms of covenant commitment, unity, that of the relationship of a, of a husband and a wife. And so his example of speaking of Christ as the bridegroom, or we would just shorten it to say the groom, is absolutely on point. So Jesus is the groom. He's coming for his people, the church. And all of the focus needs to be on the groom, not the friend of the groom. So that's where, that's where John the Baptist is in this story. Um, look back at verse 29. What does it say? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the, the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Let's read it again. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John the Baptist here is saying, look, my job is to be like that of a best man. I'm the best man in the wedding. Jesus is the groom. And this even had an, an amplified significance in uh, first century Israel, okay? The, the best man would have been the one who, who organized and presided over the wedding feast. You remember from John chapter 2, that was, that's a big deal. All right, uh, we saw where Jesus turned water into wine. So, so that was a huge responsibility that the groom, I mean, the, the best man had. Uh, but then added to that, not only did, did he oversee the wedding feast, but he also coordinated so many of the details of the wedding and would be, check this out, the one who would escort the bride to the groom. Pretty huge responsibility. And so what makes a best man, a friend of the groom, what, what makes them um, worthy of their position? I mean, it's, it's not, right? It's like it's time to cut the cake, and the, the best man like, hey, man, let me take the first bite. Or, or when it's time to, to say the vows, the best man's over here is like, he does. It's time for the toast. I'd like to raise a toast to me. <laughs> no best man is doing that. The, the job of the friend of the groom is to, to point to the groom, to make sure that the groom and the bride have the, the best experience possible. And, and, and John understood that in such a way that, that he found his, his very joy in the opportunity to point to Christ in, in that kind of way. Verse 29, he rejoiced greatly. We could, we could translate it, he was overjoyed. He was, he was overjoyed. He was filled with joy. He was full of joy um, to be able to um, see Christ come and take his bride. 
And so the spiritual law that we need to learn this morning, uh, when glory to Christ increases, our joy will increase with it. When Christ receives more glory, we receive more joy. It's an amazing truth that we need not miss, okay? When, when we increase glory to God, when we live for the glory of God, then our joy just trails along with it. These are not two separate pursuits. They are the same pursuit. Don't you, like, if, if you're being honest here this morning, all right, like, don't you want a little more joy in your life? Don't you want a little more kind of just a spirit of satisfaction and, and, and with your spirit um, kind of elevated because of what God is doing in your life? That, that this is like, goes, goes beyond just kind of this temporary happiness and emotional state, but this is, this is something that, that God is producing in us to give us the joy of Christ. Pursuing the glory of God and and pursuing our own joy, they are the same pursuit. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it like this, I think we delight to praise, all right? We can insert there, point to the glory of, of, of Christ. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, right, the, the actual pointing to Christ is not, not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So when we praise God, when we, when we do what we do in our workplace because God is changing us, when we study for an exam and then saying, like, God, help me here because I can't do this in my own strength and I don't have another ounce of energy to persevere so that I'll, I'll maybe, you know, make a decent grade on this thing. I mean, everything that we're doing, every conversation, it, it's an opportunity to point to the glory of God and to actually find delight in that. So a few more questions. Um, if, if, if God says really disturbing verses, I mean, this one really devastates me. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. That's, a, that's like an instruction. That's a command. I mean, try that this week. Just rejoice always. Have, have unceasing joy in your life. No matter we song, sing the song, like whether it's in the calm or in the storm, whether things are sunny skies or, or gray skies and the blizzards, you know, on the way. We can have joy. In spite of our circumstances, we can have the joy of Christ because he is with us. So, so just try to, try to live that way uh, this week. And, and hopefully what will happen is this, okay? Um, we will move beyond cliche. We will move beyond um, viewing joy as icing on the cake of our Christian lives to the point where it actually becomes the substance of our lives. It becomes not something that you're like, oh, finally, finally, man, I had a joyful day today. One out of 20, man, I'm on the rise, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I've, been, I've been there, I am there oftentimes, where it's not the, the constant reality in my life. And so what will, what will move us to that place where we're more consistently joyful, rejoicing always? I think, it, I think it's this, to, to recognize that joy is a gift from God. Joy is a gift. You say, Tanner, that doesn't sound too profound, like... 
break this down for me? Okay, so, so two implications of this, this truth. Right? If joy is a gift from God, we shouldn't surprise us because we just got smacked by, upside the head by verse 27, right? You remember that one, right? We can't receive anything, not one thing, including joy. So what does this mean? Number, the, the first implication, we can't produce joy. We can't produce it. I mean, I've tried to produce it. I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I wasn't very joyful today. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to muster up in my own strength. I'm going to muster up some joy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manufacture it myself. If, if I can't get it, man, I'm going to go buy it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't buy joy. You can't go, like, if I could, I thought about this, like, it's Christmas time, right? If I could uh, get, you know, a couple hundred boxes, have someone else wrap them because I'm not a good rapper. I always try to get out of that, just being honest. Um, and I could just put some joy in a box for you. I would, I, would just do, I would do it, and I would give it to you on your way out the door today, but you can't box up joy. You can't buy it at Target, Kohl's, or Macy's, all right? It just, you can't do it. We can't produce it ourselves. So, you Tanner, thanks a lot for the encouragement today. Glad I came to Redemption Hill. <laughs> you can't produce joy, but you can position yourself to receive it. I hope you hear that. You cannot produce joy, but you can position yourself to receive it as a gift from God. And so how do we do that? It's the, it's the stuff that we always talk about at Redemption Hill that, that just we kind of struggle to actually make happen a lot of times. We're just being real, right? It's, it's what we do. We just be honest, we're honest with one another. Um, so, so these rhythms that we talk about, the rhythm of prayer, like spending time with the one, the, the God of exceeding joy, the psalmist would, would talk about, right? Like to spend time with God in prayer, to receive uh, God's truth, to behold his glory in his word, which hopefully your joy is rising right now because you're hearing the word, all right? So, so just to receive it, not as information, but actually as that which will transform our lives This is how we position ourselves. We place ourselves in a spot to receive joy from God. Just spending time together, the rhythm of community. Um, When when I hang out with you, the Christ in you encourages the Christ in me, the Christ of, of, of all joy. So just that rhythm of spending time together positions me to have more joy in God as to receive that as a gift from him. Walking in the Spirit. I mean, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's that next one? Yeah, that one too hard, all right? You don't even know that verse, but you just kind of guess the right answer, right? Love, joy. Joy, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So as we, check this out, as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk in the, in the strength that the Spirit gives us, we, we say no to that junk in our life that doesn't resemble Christ, and we try, to, we try to put on things that look like Christ. Our joy will increase. See, one thing I'm learning, I'm, I'm relearning uh, in my walk with Jesus, not just as a pastor. I know I'm Pastor Tanner. I'm one of the pastors around here. Like, for, forget about that, right? Just as, a, just as a daily follower of Christ, 
One thing I'm learning is that when the, the grace of God is at work in us, it turns duty into delight. You guys with me? I mean, I hope you're with me. If you aren't experiencing delight, like you need to listen up. You need to write this down and ask for it. Pray for it, all right? I'm just gonna go out on a limb, all right? I know that Jesus says, all right, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, all right? And that's how I try to live my life. And I hope that what I'm about to say is none of that, all right? But let me just tell you something, all right? I've been getting up with some friends, some of you in the room, all right, at, at 5 a.m. on Wednesday mornings to pray. Now, let me, let me just back up to that 327 at 3.30, all right? Um, that's not because I'm a super Christian. In fact, that, I mean, I think that should be the norm, and it's just like the last four weeks that, that God's, God's moved me and a few others to do that, all right? It's not, not because I'm a super Christian at all. I'm a, I'm a, I feel like I'm a lousy Christian a lot of days. I know pastors aren't supposed to tell you that, um, but, but anyway. Um, but, but, but this is what I want to just share as a, as a testimony, as a word of praise, all right? Like, this past Wednesday after that happened, man, I'm already, I'm already clocked in to go to bed early next Tuesday night. Like, I am looking forward to it because it, it's becoming the highlight of my week. Now, I, I got to tell you, it was, it was a little tougher the, the first time. But the, but the more I do that, the more I enjoy that. And the grace of God turns what seems like a duty. Man, I got to do that. I got I to gotta love my neighbor. Man, my neighbor's bonkers. Man, I want to love him or her. I got to read my Bible. Like, it's truth. It'll set me free. You know, but like, I've, really got, like, I've got other things to do, man. I've got to check Facebook, you know. Like, I've got to, I got to, you know, watch more sports. We're drowning in this, this stuff. <laughs> can, I, can I just be real? Like, why, why are we so distracted by stuff that, like, no one remembers even the next week? Like, who, who, can, who can tell me if the Celtics won two or three games last week? I don't know. I don't even care, really. I mean, I'm a Celtics fan, too. Like, they almost beat the Warriors. I do remember that. But, but you, you get the point, right? <laughs> you get the point? So distracted by all of these things that they're not bad things. I'm just saying, like, when, when, we, when we start to, to really prioritize God, then these duties in our life become such delights where this is what we want to do. So if you want to pray with a few other people, the invitation's open, 5 a.m., 215 High Street. We'll leave the door open, all right? We, we, we still know you love Jesus. If you're in Christ, we won't think less of you by not showing up, right? It's early and people have schedules and other things, but you're invited. So I, I hope you hear that. I hope even I'm just praying that God uh, moved me to share that just now out of a, a spirit of pointing to his greatness. Not because I'm so dedicated, man. I, I want to be more dedicated to Jesus in every area of my life. So, let me just kind of try to wrap up with this. Why should Jesus increase? Why should Jesus increase, and why will our joy increase when we see him for who he is? And the answer comes with 
the gospel writer John's explanation in verses 31 through 36. All right, so read along with me as I read these verses. Um, This is what it says. He who comes from above is above all. Speaking of Jesus, all right? He who comes from above, Jesus is above all. Uh, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Uh, He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, so here are just some, some incentives, all right? Some motivators to want to decrease to increase that we might point to the glory of, of Christ, but also that we might decrease to increase our own joy as we point to his glory. Let me give you just three things really quick, all right? Uh, number one, first incentive, all right? This is really good. Um, Jesus reigns above all. Jesus reigns above all. This is what it says two times, in case we miss it the first time in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is supreme. He has no rivals. He is above everyone and everything. And so if if I really believe that, then it should be much easier for me just to, to look to him and say, man, there's nothing greater that I could focus on today. There's, there's nothing uh, more uh, substantial or important that I could wrap up all the little daily, uh, you know, tasks of my days and my relationships and the things that I have to do. Like there's nothing more than I could just kind of wrap it all up and point to him in every single piece. Not me. I'm not above all. Uh, Jesus is above all. And verse 35 reinforced that because it says that God the Father uh, loves the Son so much that he has given everything into his hand. Just reinforces the fact that Jesus is above all. He is supreme. He reigns over everything. Number two, uh, not only does Jesus reign above all, Jesus distributes God's word without measure. Jesus is God's perfect messenger. When, when Jesus speaks, God speaks, and he's confirmed this because he's given him the spirit uh, to, to rest on him in such a way, all right, that when, when he speaks, the words of God are flowing without measure. This isn't like carefully proportioned, like measurements, like we get a little bit of God when, when Jesus speaks. Okay, like when Jesus speaks, um, and we can set our seal to this, the passage says, when we see his divine um, um, uh, origin and, um, and, 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 and the, the words, how his words have divine uh, origin because they come from him who is divine, then, then we can set our seal that, that he is true. We can stamp our approval upon it because the the Spirit is working with the words of Christ. The eternal word, and this is how the same thing, by the way, just some theology here for you. Um, This is the same way that that the Spirit works with the Spirit-inspired written word. The Spirit is always working with the word to change us and transform us. So Jesus reigns above all. Jesus distributes God's word uh, without measure. And then number three, uh, Jesus provides eternal life to all who believe in him. Check, check verse 36 one more time. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God 
remains on him. So Jesus is not only reigning above all, he's not only speaking the words of God, but Jesus is, please hear this, he is the crossroads for people to either receive eternal life or to receive eternal condemnation and the wrath of God that is justly bestowed on all people who reject him. And, and I know that when we start talking about like wrath and judgment, that that makes us a little squirmish, you know? Like, the Bible still say that? Like, was God really, like, I thought that was the God of the Old Testament, but now God's all gracious and loving, and like, God was gracious and loving in the Old Testament. And, and, and the New Testament uh, still portrays God as, as a just God. I mean, we all want justice, right? The things that happened in San Bernardino uh, this past week, I mean, is anyone just like, hey, that's no big deal. Let's not try to get those guys. Like, sin is treason against God. Just as any American who would take up arms against uh, his own country, we, we would call that treason. This is what we have done with our maker. We have raised our arms against him. And therefore, we deserve his judgment. Leon Morris, a scholar, puts it like this. He says, if we abandon wrath, we mutilate the Bible, and we detract from God's character. We are left with a God who is not ready to act against moral evil. We can't sweep God's wrath under the rug. And and added to that, um, what are we saved from? Like if Jesus came to rescue us, what is he rescuing us from if our sin has not put us in trouble? Our sin has separated us from God. It's left us under his judgment. But the good news of the, 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 the word and, and the good news of Christ and the good news of Christmas is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever looks to him doesn't have to experience that judgment and wrath but can receive the gift of eternal life and the gift of joy and the gift of peace and the gift of kindness and the gift of a transformed life every single day. And so my hope, my prayer for us as a church as we start to wrap up 2015, as we start to look into 2016 and beyond, is that we would acquire a greater desire to point to the glory of Christ and to live a life of joy that is consequent of pointing to the glory of Christ by, of course, beholding the glory of Christ. That is how we get the job done. We just look to him. The one who, John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father full of grace and truth. So this Christmas, there is nothing, there's no greater gift that you could give to yourself and there is no greater gift that you could give to someone else than to simply take some time, take some additional time to just look into who Christ is. I mean, I don't have time to just kind of keep going here, but I just, like, God became a baby Can you imagine if Princess Kate, you know, Middleton, she just went to live in the slums of India for a few years? Hey, like people would write books about that, and she would, be, she would become the great, like, it's so much greater, it's so much more magnificent what Christ has done. It's, it's, it's exponentially and infinitely greater. 
So as we just press into his humility, as we press into the joy that he wants to give us, then our lives are filled with this kind of resolve that wants to decrease to increase. Glory to him and joy for us. It's a really, really good deal. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have, instead of placing your wrath upon us, you actually placed your wrath upon Jesus when he died for us on the cross. That's why he is the greatest gift that we could ever receive from the greatest love ever given. And so, Father, in light of that, as we look to how awesome you are, how beautiful you are, how glorious you are, Lord, we just pray that you would move our stubborn hearts, that you would move us to not just kind of go through the motions of, of our lives, and, and, but that we would be moved to actually delight in every single one of those moments. God, for people who don't rejoice always, we ask that you would help us to rejoice always that you would move us to encourage one another and that we would give encouragement and that we would receive encouragement in a way that, that says, I mean, you have done this. You are glorious and we are simply the recipients of your gifts of grace. So Father, would you move among us in such a way that you receive maximum glory during this Christmas season and that we have our joy maximized because of your good gifts. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.